Well, Happy New Year to you once again. This is Jill Herman, host of BU Podcast. Welcome, and I'm so glad you're with us. And welcome back if you've been here before. If you're new, we're so happy you're here, and we hope that you really get a lot of value out of these episodes. We invite you to listen to at least three episodes before you decide if you want to stay. And remember, triggers are your friend. If anything triggers you or challenges you, lean into it and keep on listening. I want to give you a little background. So the reason we are having this four-week series, which starts today, I'm so proud of it and so excited about this. To be transparent, the reason is because when I was interviewing former guests and I was looking at my own life, I realized that there was one area of my life that I'm really struggling in. I would say if I looked at, at my overall life, no matter what's happening in my life, I truly have found heaven on earth. Through all of the inner work that I've done that we discuss on BU Podcast, I have embodied that work and I truly have peace and joy and gratitude all the time. I look at my triggers as my friend. I realize I'm still human. I give myself grace. I do find myself, you know, wanting to be perfect or criticizing myself. And then I can quickly jump right out of that and go back to my home base, which is truth, which is love's voice. And yet, there is one area of my life that I realize I've been neglecting. It's almost like your house is, is really, really clean and organized and you can feel the energy flowing well from room to room and you just feel really great in your space. You feel that it's a great reflection of you. You're proud of your space. But there's this one room that no one sees but you. Maybe it's the extra bedroom, like the guest room. Maybe it's a room in the basement. And it's disorganized. It's cluttered. It's messy. It's neglected. And when you walk in there, you feel like you can't breathe very well. Your chest gets a little tight. You feel a little sweaty. And you might even feel a little embarrassment or shame if anybody would see that room. Well, that room in my internal house is my health. It's something I've been very open about with all of you. I spent years looking very healthy and fit and being pretty healthy and fit. I was someone who enjoyed moving my body. I enjoyed eating clean. I had no issue with weight gain. That just wasn't something I struggled with. I didn't really have any struggle with my health until I started experiencing autoimmune symptoms about five years ago, connected the dots and realized that they were connected to or linked to breast implants, had those removed. And then I also, as I dug further and did more research and learned more and work with more healers and really got honest with myself, it was a combination as almost like a perfect storm of not just the breast implants, but it was the toxins and the heavy metals from the breast implants combined with my body's response to chronic stress, a lot of pain, a lot of unresolved issues, resentment, lots of regret, and lots of guilt. That also coming up against approaching 50 at that time and stepping into perimenopause and menopause. So all of those things combined together created me gaining a lot of weight. I first thought it was only because of the breast implants, and then I had them removed and gained more and gained more without changing my eating habits. This has been something I've been dancing with and battling for a couple of years now. Right now, as I'm speaking to you, 
I'm the heaviest I've ever been in my life. I know many would say, you know, just love who you are. Just love your body. It's not about the weight. Well, it's not. And it is. It's both for me. I don't feel healthy. I am inflamed. I am retaining water. And I'm also holding on to a lot of fat, which is another term for padding and protection. So why am I sharing that with you? I'm sharing that because through all that exploration, I was having a a chat with a friend the other day. And she's a certified uh, behavior change coach and she's fully committed to her health and fitness and has had an unbelievable transformation in the past few years. And we were talking and you know, when you're talking and then all of a sudden you get a revelation, like my one friend says, I don't know what I think till I hear myself speak. Well, I had one of those times where we were talking and I was like, oh my God, I just realized something. Because she asked a great question. She gets credit for that. She asked me a question that caused me to look at something. And I didn't see it at the time. And that was this. When I had that career for 13 years in the world of MLM, direct sales, network marketing, whatever you want to call it, it was with a health and wellness company. And I didn't realize until the other day that I felt no fault of theirs, okay? I was taught this and I chose to internalize it, so it's on me. But I was taught and I felt that I needed to be really healthy on the outside. I have air quotes right now with my hands. That I needed to look healthy, that I needed to eat really clean. And if I didn't, I was failing. I always felt like I was poisoning myself if I didn't have everything perfectly clean and organic. I demonized things that, I mean, they probably should be avoided, but I demonized sugar. I demonized anything that wasn't, you know, a complete whole food. And I realized in this conversation the other day that I took on this persona and what it did was it fed my guilt, it fed my perfectionism, and it fed my good girl complex. So I, if I bought anything that wasn't deemed as perfectly clean, I would put it in the bottom of my grocery cart so no one saw it. If I ever got sick or my kids got sick, I wouldn't tell anyone because I thought it might hurt my business. But I also thought, because I was selling health and wellness, but I also wanted to fit into that community. And in that community, it just wasn't okay, you know, to drink a Coca-Cola. Like nobody does that. Who does that? Oh my God, I can't believe she has a Coke. A Diet Coke? Are you kidding me? No, I don't want to drink a Diet Coke. I think it's horrible for you. It is toxic. But it was the judgment that came with it. So the other day in this conversation, I realized, oh my goodness, I really believe now that the changes in my health and this weight gain in the past couple of years, because my friend said to me, it's interesting that it coincides when when you left that company and you also left on not so good terms, when they forced you to sell the business you had built for 13 years, when they embarrassed you and, and tarnished your name. Isn't it interesting that you gained all that weight after that? And I said, oh my gosh, you're right. And then I realized All those years, I wasn't really being me. All those years, I was shaming myself for ever, you know, eating a cookie. I was like a size four. I I exercised. I enjoyed eating clean, healthy food. But I also underate. I also didn't understand how important it was to eat protein. I was told that animal meat was horrible. I mean, they would have professional lectures by quote unquote experts who would teach us how bad animal products were for us. So if I wanted a steak or ate a steak, I felt bad about it. Isn't it interesting 
that after the breakup with that company and that community, I started packing on weight. Now, I may have packed on the weight because of some protection issues. My body may have said, that was pretty bad. I'm going to protect you in the future. Maybe that's part of it. I also do feel like it was me also saying, F you. Like, I'm going to eat a cookie if I want, or I can finally relax. So whatever the answer is, that conversation is what helped me with what you're about to hear over the next four weeks. I thought, you know, what if we looked at things a little bit differently? It's pretty popular right now to talk about unconventional wellness or alternative medicine or biohacking. I mean, those have been buzzwords for a little while. So this is not new for any of you, right? But I didn't just want to talk about like saunas and cold plunges because everyone's talking about that. And that's sort of supposedly unconventional or alternative. I found experts who were willing to have open, vulnerable conversations, who were willing to talk to me about what they've seen in, in scientific data and research, what they have seen that has no scientific data to prove it, but they've seen it in their practices, what they've seen in their own lives, with their friends, with their family. And there's some beautiful information that you're about to witness over this next month. So that was a long way of saying that sometimes the answer is not where you think it's going to be. And sometimes the experience of looking inward and asking yourself what the answer is, even when it comes to health, yes, is what my guest here today calls the golden thread. So where are those golden threads for you? For me, the conversation the other day and the sort of epiphany about that relationship with the company and me not being myself, et cetera, et cetera. That was a golden thread and I'm going to follow that and look into that more. And it also takes a lot for me to say what I just said because I have blamed all of this on my breast implants. I still don't recommend them. I think they are highly toxic. I think they're a really bad idea. And I realize that my health issues, the autoimmune issues, I believe were because of that and the other things that I mentioned. And I need to be honest with myself about that and honest with you about that. So this series is for me is as much as it is for you. I talked in another episode, and you may have heard it last year, towards the end of the year, I was talking to Kiki Herwitt, who had a really amazing episode about her health transformation. And I was saying to her, I realized that I'm, was, I've always been so goal-oriented I've always been so driven and ambitious and I love winning. I love it. And I don't apply that to my health. I realized in speaking with her that the reason is because when I was performing and crushing goals and being ambitious and winning in business, in teaching personal development, in coaching women, in putting on events, I was outsourcing my worth. I had an audience. But I didn't have an audience when it came to me really taking care of myself. Now you might say, Jill, I thought you said you did take care of yourself. I did. But I could get away with undereating. It wasn't intentional, by the way. Undereating, not eating much protein, and not lifting weights. I could get away with that because I hadn't reached the perfect storm I mentioned earlier. So once I reach that perfect storm, it's as if, well, it is 
my body, it's like a dam broke. And suddenly I needed to really, really be intentional about my health. And I didn't feel the drive to do it because I wasn't performing for anyone but me. And sad to say, I didn't care if I failed myself. I think I had a bit of PTSD as well because I won so much. And I sacrificed really important things to make sure that I won, to make sure I got that goal, I got that trophy, I got that award. I won that cash prize. I was asked to speak on those stages. I was the it girl of the company. People booked these 30-day experiences with me to learn how they could do that. And once all that was gone, I do believe that there was a part of me that was just tired, just wanted to rest and not do anything. And that bled over into moving my body. And when you're not moving your body and you're under eating and you're not eating enough protein and you suddenly feel like, wow, I'm allowed to have some junk food and you eat it and you do that regularly, things start changing. Whether you are in perimenopause or menopause, you're 50 or not, that happens. So I decided in that conversation, you know what? I've said for a year that I'm going to have one of the pillars of this podcast about being ourselves and remembering who we are and really loving whoever that is. I am going to commit to having one of our pillars as health and wellness, biohacking, unconventional, alternative healing, et cetera. And I didn't do it. And I realized it's because I wanted to hide. I didn't want to look at that part of my life. I'd rather talk about trauma and breath work and stuff like that. So this four-week series is a gift to you and it's a gift to me. And it's also a way for me to intentionally put my energy where it really deserves and I would say needs to go. And that is my health. It's not about being the same size I used to be. It's about eating enough, eating intuitively what feels good for my body, not worrying about what the rules are from the health nuts, allowing myself to have, you know, a Hershey bar or whatever every now and then if I want to, and maybe another time some, you know, really dark chocolate with mostly cacao if I want to, drinking mostly water and drinking a Coke every now and then if I want to, but treating my body like I used to treat my business with intention, with a sense of purpose, and with a winning attitude. So I want to thank ahead of time all these health professionals who were excited to be a part of this four-week series. So here we are. New year, new focus, and for this entire month, we're dedicating this podcast to your health. Because without that, nothing else matters. Dr. Nick Truby is a husband and father of three and a former university professor of exercise physiology who left the world of academia to personal train and coach clients via his online coaching platform, Truby Health. Nick has spent the last 15 years helping an entire spectrum of people, from average Joes like me to competitive athletes, helping them to connect the dots between their everyday lives and the valuable time spent in the movement space. You can find Nick on Instagram at dr.nicktruby at trubyhealth.com or you can tune into his awesome podcast, Fitness Lit Breakdown.
His wife, Dr. Lindsay Resch, is a wife, mom of three, certified life coach, and physician. Lindsay has spent the last four years slowing down, creating space, and looking inward to cultivate a life of joy, growth, and adventure. She currently spends her time raising babies, exploring new hobbies, and taking care of patients as a hospitalist. Oh, by the way, you can find Dr. Lindsay on Instagram at dr.lresh. And here they are, Dr. Nick Truvy and Dr. Lindsay Resch. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to Be You Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, so if you all could see what I see right now, I've got two doctors in their closet. (laughs) They had to fly their mom slash mother-in-law in to take care of the babies. Three babies under three? Are they all under three or under two? Oh, no, not that bad. Seven, three, and 11 months. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That can be a lot though. Well, so easy. that's still a lot. I'm thinking of the two younger ones, I guess. So welcome to Be a Podcast. I'm super honored to have you both. We're very excited to be here. Yes, thank you, thank for you for having, having us. us. Yeah. So we're kicking off this series, as you know, unconventional and some maybe advice that has been said before that we'll repeat, but unconventional advice uh, for our listeners about having a truly healthy life and hopefully stretching them a little and pushing them a little bit with what they consider health. And so I'm happy to have both of you on. We've got a really great episode here. So I would describe it as this. Tell me if you agree. We decided ahead of time what we were going to do. And we're going to do, instead of like the top 10 ways to get healthier or the top 10 things not to do in this year for your health, I asked each of you to dig into like your archives of, of everything you've learned, everything you know, all the years of education, all the years of experience, and what are five things you each want our listeners to hear about health? Five things that you each feel that we deserve to hear. So I don't know what you're going to say, but I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Genuinely. So let's just ping pong back and forth to keep it fun. And we'll just go back and forth. Can you care if I call you Nick and Lindsay for That's the interview? Perfect. Of course. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's start first with the two of you. What is it like in your relationship as far as your approach to health? Do you both have, do you have really similar approaches to how you each live your life as, as far as a healthy lifestyle? Or do you push each other and challenge each other and stretch each other? Oh, well, 
Nick is definitely the the consistent <laughs> one. So I feel like we've always been extremely active, even from our the beginning of our relationship. It was built on being active, going hiking, adventuring, something. And we wanted to continue that when we had kids in a way to get them involved, in a way to stay active and healthy for them. So I feel like our overall goal is the same. Um, I feel like Nick is definitely much more... Maybe annoyingly consistent with some th- a few things that I focus on. Oh, yeah. He annoys <laughs> me, too. about a couple of those today. <laughs> yes, he annoys he's me, too. Like, there he is again. Yeah. There he is yeah. again. <laughs> and of course, there he's he is again. It a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's amazing. But I did wonder... I did. I didn't think of this before because I've mostly talked to Nick. But as I see you two sitting there, I'm like, I wonder what it's like in your relationship if there are ever ways that one of you stretches the other one. So you said yes to that, but is there ever anything that one of you has kind of cracked the other one open on? As far as like, that doesn't have to be fitness, but anything about a healthy lifestyle. Maybe Lindsay, like as a physician, like there are things that you're like, I'm not budging on this. Or you're like, hey, you're not right about that. Or I learned something new. Yeah. And I I think as a physician, it's one thing, but I think as a life coach, it was even more because while we had healthy, consistent routines, like we, you know, food and exercise and probably about three years ago, we kind of found our, I don't know, the energy of our home to be very stressful and very chaotic. And rooted in like scarcity and negativity. And so about three years ago, when I started my journey trying to get out of burnout with medicine, I think that that's really has been broken open with us. It's Mm. more of how we, you know, how we think about things, how we talk about things. So not necessarily the habits that we do every day, but we've really tried to change how we think and make our home, I don't know, a more calm and peaceful more enjoyable place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lindsay's kind of always been the the guide in that. Where I think she kind of forecasts things better than I do. I kind of get lost in the details, and she kind of sees in the future a little bit more than I'm able of doing. And I think she is able to push me, not not the physical part, but more of the mental and you know just going for it kind of attitude with things like business and other ventures that have really opened up a lot of different perspectives for us. You know, I think my part on the the physical side is just kind of being that, that silent, you know, consistent person that just shows it can be done. And if you want to, you want to join on and, and, and join me, fantastic. You know, I'm not going to push it either way, but I think we kind of play off each other really well on the, both of those spaces, but above and below the shoulders. And I have to say, I was so pleasantly surprised, Lindsay, when we talked about what you wanted to share today that you wanted to go more of on the life coach path, because it's pretty rare that any physician would ever consider being a life coach, even taking the classes to learn what you learn in like life coach school. I think it's very rare. And then the fact that you then took that on, is it true? Is it, I'm assuming that Nick, you followed, did she become a life coach first? I mean, as far as like taking on that action of looking at yourself, looking at your mindset, she led first in that area, then you followed. It sounds like. So first of all, I just want to commend you for that, Lindsay, because you know, I don't know if you know, I was a nurse for quite a while. And it is that whole world of medicine is just so, it's like, we think this way, we do this way, we everything is this way. So I commend you for that because it makes you a better physician too. Thank you. And I'm hopeful that the generation of doctors that are coming up now, because the business of healthcare has changed so much that it's not what it, it's like comparing apples and oranges of what medicine was, you know, even 10 years ago, probably. So I think that more physicians are trying 
to become more aware of this because of, I don't know, the need to prioritize yourself and your family and show up for yourself so you can be better, you know, just for the one, the people that you love, your home. Mm -hmm. And then two, let that trickle on into your job too. Yeah, because if you're not healthy and you're not where you need to be, how can you really be a great physician? And if you are somehow, like you said, you're going to sacrifice yourself. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to sacrifice the ones that, you know, my passion, my calling, whatever, you know, whatever they told us that it was to become a doctor, it, it makes you put aside yourself and then your family. And you realize that you're not replaceable at home. Like, you, you know, the business mm. will get somebody else, but you are not replaceable in between your four walls. And so that was a realization that really kind of, you know, de- definitely wasn't just like an overnight thing. It was like the slow grind of everything just kind of trending down and us being like, what are we doing mm-hmm. right now? So really needed to make a shift for our for our family first. Mm-hmm. So before we get to our, our top 10, I have another question. So when you described your household, you said that about three years ago or before three years ago, it wasn't calm like it is now. Just describe what it looked like because I bet a lot of people are living that way because it's not bad. It's just not sustainable. But And why do you think it was like that? So I graduated residency in 2016 and I was pregnant at the time with our first child and I started my first job. Oh my gosh. And so I had our oldest son, our first year of my first year being an attending somewhere. Um, and Nick had just gotten a job being a, an assistant professor. What yeah, it was like a tenure track professor at a university. And so we were both trying to start these new things with the little one at home. And I don't think we remember, I, I don't remember the first two years of his life. It was hurrying him out the door, taking him to daycare, somebody hurrying to get him up, picked up. Dinner would be thrown together, put him to bed. We were exhausted, had to finish up work after that. And so we became really burnt out on that. And so I changed jobs. So we moved when he was two, we moved back to Kentucky and the schedule was a bit better. And so it helped our home life a bit more, but ultimately changing your circumstance doesn't change much. The old things will start to trickle in. And so then we now have two kids and you find yourself in that spot where it's just a grind all the time. It was rushing, hurrying, little joy. You know, I just felt like everything was a, a push to get him to move to the next thing. It's giving me palpitations thinking about it. I know. That. It's giving me palpitations. I, I never lived that life, but I, I get that. My nervous system feels that. I'm like, oh yeah, I used to live that way. And it's like, you're never really truly present. No. Because you can't be. I always had like 500 things in my the back of my mind about my patients, what I had to do. And in residency, you are taught to ignore every need that you have. You know, your needs, you don't really matter. You have to work this time. You take care of your patients. And so you you shove it down. You compartmentalize. You don't even like, oh, I I have feelings. I have needs too. And so that, I don't know, it was, it was really tricky. I feel like I took, you know, the survival mechanisms of medical school and residency into our first, you know, five years of kid life. Mm-hmm. I think. Understandably. Mm-hmm. I think someone listening who's never gone to medical school and maybe doesn't even know anyone who's done that totally gets what you're saying. Like in some way they're, they've lived that way or they're living that way right now. Just like just what you said right there. Those are the kind of things that we talk about that it really could change the tra- trajectory of someone's life. They could be listening to this. It's the new year. 
They're like, I'm sick of the new year resolutions. I'm just going to really focus on the life I want. And they heard you say that one thing and they're like, oh, what if I just was more present and wasn't in the rat race and checking things off the list? I mean, that would change everything for their kids and their grandkids and their grandkids, grandkids. So thank you for that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The checklist energy and more being more present. The hardest part for us was like, you, you know, re-realizing you have that you always have a choice. You may not like what the next six months of that choice is going to look like because it may not be as comfy as you typically have it. Mm -hmm. And in reality, it's going to get you to where you want to be. It's just going to be really uncomfortable between that choice and then the action actually being taken place. Mm -hmm. You know what I used to call it, Nick? When I Okay, so when I used to have the business I had, I used to call it, it could be selective imbalance, but I used to call it strategic imbalance where I would decide for this goal. And I know behind the scenes, he's probably like, why aren't you doing that with your health? I don't know. We're not talking about that. But anyway, I would say, you know, I have this goal that I want to hit. So it's going to be like nonstop. I'm going to focus on that, but it's going to end on this date. Like, I'm not going to live like that. But for this like week or this month or even this three months, you know, I'm going to just go all out, sacrifice some things. And I understand it's going to be tough. But as you said, that's to get to point B. And the problem is you guys were living there with no... (laughs) No yeah. end date, mm-hmm. right? Because medical school, his PhD, everything had an end date. And then we got out and we realized, wait, this is this is it. This is it. Like this is there's no more excitement of the is, unknown of what that's or like, like this is well, we're not gonna have another change. This is how we're gonna raise our children. Like this is this is how we're gonna feel for the next until we, years. until we die. <laughs> I don't know. And so it was just like, oh, no, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. So proud of you, seriously, for doing that for your kids, for your patients, for your friends, because even if you don't talk about it and you're not on a podcast or even talking about it with your friends, people see it and they feel it, right? And it inspires them. Oh, maybe I don't have to live like that. Maybe I could be more present. Maybe I could slow down because you could always work harder. You could always make more money. You could always have more goals. But as you said, you can't, you'll never get the time back with your kids and you'll never really look back on your life and say, oh, I really wish I would have been more dysregulated and more goal-oriented. <laughs> no one's ever going to yeah. say that, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we've got a PhD. How do I say this? You are, I know you're a doctor of physical, no, you're a doctor of exercise physiology. Yes. <laughs> Will you just quickly explain that? Like, don't get too nerdy on me, but like, there's doctoral physical therapy, there's doctor of exercise physiology. I honestly don't really understand that area. What does that mean exactly? So mine's more in the theory of understanding the physiology specific to what's happening to the body during a stressor like exercise, right? And you can look at it from a neuromuscular side, a cardiovascular side, whatever kind of specialty you want to go into. Um, you're kind of more along the lines of that compared to like a physical therapist who's dealing directly with patients one-on-one in a clinical setting. Here's my injury, rehab them out, you know, get the next one in line kind of a situation. So I always kind of told people who weren't you know, familiar with it. It's like I was teaching the people that would come out to be physical therapists. I was teaching the people that would come out and be strength coaches at your major universities mm. or the teachers at your your school for physical education, your OTs. Like if you get, you know, a, an injury in the shoulder or hand or have to go some kind of specialty person, those are the kind of people I was teaching in undergrad setting. Okay. Yeah. I always wondered. All right. And we have a medical doctor. So I'm a DO. I'm a doctor of osteopathic medicine and I do internal medicine. So I'm a board certified internist and I am a hospitalist. So I would take care of you if you were sick and admitted into the hospital and you were over 18. Okay, great. 
All right. So let's get into our list. I actually, I would like to start with you, Nick, and we'll go ping pong back and forth. So starting with your five, I mean, you dug into the archives, everything that is in that brain of his, what would you like us to know about health and wellness? Yeah. So I kind of, to give you some perspective, the first 28 years of my life was like very much in, you know, nose buried in a book kind of understanding all the guidelines and suggestions and all that kind of stuff, right? And then when I broke away from that quote-unquote academic corporate world and started my own, I had a different realization of, you know, I understand those things and I look at the current population who are following those things and the two don't quite line up, if you kind of follow what I'm saying. (laughs) And that's when I started looking at like, what else is there that doesn't really get a whole lot of attention, mainly because there's no kind of capital to be made from it if people choose to do these type of things. Let me make sure I'm hearing this right. These are things that you might say if you set them on social media, a fact checker might show up. Well, no, they, a fact checker wouldn't show up because oh, they wouldn't okay. care because there's no money to be made from it, right? It's all oh, personal God. choice. Okay. It's more choice driven, but understanding you know, why that choice is so important because in the moment, your brain will tell you it's the wrong choice because there's going to be discomfort there. But in reality, just kind of baby, baby stepping your way into some of these things, you notice an almost immediate reward in how you feel. And that's very easy to kind of hold on to and make that more of a, a regular part of your day. So that's kind of what I stuck to. These are the things, the five things I wrote down are five things that are always like the top five things that I do and make sure I have it in my everyday. Mm, I love it. All right. What's number one? Number one. <laughs> so I got real nerdy probably three years ago into circadian rhythm. Have you had anybody on this podcast talk about? We have never. I've mentioned that if you're like, get up and you look at the sunlight, it helps that. But I've never, no, this is, oh, I'm so excited about this. It's, yeah. So I could, I mean, I could talk all, all day about this. So I had to, it was, this is going to be tough for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You don't have to keep this brief. This is something we've never talked about and it's life-changing information. So you go ahead. Yeah. So when you think about, I'll just kind of real basically see so the understanding of what we're talking about is there's kind of a group of cells called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And it's in our hypothalamus, which is kind of located directly behind like our eyes and just below our eyes, kind of behind our nose. And it, if you want to think about it this way, it's essentially the internal clock that synchronizes all the other clocks in our body when all of their actions are supposed to take place, like cellular, cellular replication, bowel digestion, you know, whatever it can, each part of your body, each organ has its own quote unquote clock. And that one area behind our eyes is the the master clock. So the easiest way to create synchronization of all the clocks is using that area, which the first thing that it picks up on from our environment is light, right? That's kind of the easy indicator for setting things in motion. It's like, okay, I know what time it is. Now, two hours from now, this is going to happen in my body. 30 minutes from now, this is going to happen in my body, right? And the more we can synchronize these clocks and make them in a more favorable environment to speak to each other, good things happen internally, health-wise. So the first thing is really from uh, as consistent as you can be basis, it can be, you know, when are you going to bed in the evening? And when are you waking up in the morning? And as consistent as you can be from a day-to-day basis, regardless of a weekend or weekday or whatever, if you're able to, and I know it's not always possible, but if you're able to, really trying to make 
those two times nearly identical day in and day out, right? Because that is when am I going to see light in the morning, right? And when am I going to start turning the lights off in the evening? Those are two things you can always control, right? You're typically 98% of the time you're in control of those things. So if for me, Lindsay has gotten used to this early on, it was probably a challenge. <laughs> oh God. Do you go to bed at like nine o'clock? Well, oh, we, well, we, oh, we, we have yeah, little ones, but you know, I'll, I'll start in the morning. <laughs> we typically wake up at like five, five thirty in the morning. And we did before our babies, but now our, our youngest wakes up at that time every single day. She's her, she's like a Swiss watch. This lady has like, her rhythm is dialed in. I wonder right? why she gets up at 5.30. <laughs> Belly, right? So I'm downstairs and I turn every single light on in the house, like to the max. Every light. Every light. 5.30 in the morning. It's like you, it's it's very stark. What are they, Lux? Yeah. Because so, you're trying to get, <laughs> ideally, you're trying to get as much light to enter your eye into that group of cells to say, oh, it's daytime. Let's get things in motion. Okay. I have a question. Even that kind of light? That kind of light is not nearly, even if it, even if it's bright, it's nowhere near even like an uh, overcast day outside, right? If you're really serious about it, you can get like one of those like light pads and stick your face in front of it for like five or 10 minutes. Not enough to where it's going to damage your eye, obviously. But that's a good way to kick things off. And then as soon as the sun comes up, I open my garage door and I go outside for like five minutes, mm-hmm. right? Because there's something, if you want to get even more nerdy about it, it's the actual wavelength and direction at which the light is entering your pupils has an effect on things as well. That's getting real technical, but. Okay. No, but I'm glad you said that because I have recommended something that my physician, Dr. Stillman, you know, Dr. Stillman recommended, but I didn't explain why because I didn't know why. And I really didn't care. But I just said, you need to get up in the morning as soon as you can go out and, and look at the sun, like, you know, hopefully 15 minutes, but even five minutes. And I, I did notice, I will say, I felt different. I shouldn't say I feel different when I do that. It does do, it's not just, oh, I feel like I accomplished something or I'm more awake. Why do I feel different? Because when I go out and I do that, it isn't, someone could say, well, that's just because you're outside. That's just because you feel good that you got up. No, I'm telling you, I physically feel different when I do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it does set the tone for a, a lot of hormonal things that if the timing is right, you do notice feeling more alert or more able to focus or just energetically better. That kind of sets the, the the rate at which those things are going to deploy out into your system based on the time. So if you're like us who are up two hours before the sun, I do everything I can in my power to get as much light entering my brain. So you're walking through cranking on all those lights and cranking them on every yeah, single every one. single one. Oh my! So. I, and I'm like the opposite. I'm like I just want it to be slow and <laughs> like ease into it. Yeah, nice, like cozy morning drinking your coffee. No, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So that's a big one. So really controlling your light. And it's usually within the first hour, like you're trying to get as much light to enter your eyes as possible. After that, it's not going to have as much of an effect, right? It's like as soon as you can do it. And on the flip side, you know, once you're two hours or so before bedtime, that's when you're trying to dial back your overhead lights, right? Turn them off, turn the, the, the lamps on that don't have as much light. Lindsay, all the time, we have three lights in our bathroom and one's like, wakes you up. I turn that one off immediately. and you know, can I just, <laughs> yes, he does. It's a, it, it, I mean, I'm trying to wash my face, do yeah. things to get ready for bed. And like, it's, you know, dark in there. You get a little candle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and again, right. Like these are all controllable things that monetarily how, you know, aren't able, no one can make money from these things. So this is why I've kind of 
honed in on these things because me personally, it's way easier for me to wake up and get my day going when I do these things. At the same time, it's way easier for me to dial things back and fall asleep because I can fall asleep in three seconds. And that might be because we have little kids, but I think there's something to the... Yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's also because of... I mean, you've worked that machine for your body and just when it's time to go, it's time to go, go to sleep. Okay, a couple questions. What about someone who they say, okay, I either already am or I will be v- very consistent with the when I wake up, when I go to bed, as close to seven days a week as I can. However, because of whatever reason, their job, I have to go to bed at, let's say, 1 a.m. And I have to get up at like 9 a.m. Maybe that's not as ideal, but do I still get the same benefit because it's that consistency? And do you have anything to say about going to bed late or? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And typically like shift work is, if you really look into the details, it's, it's really kind of categorized as like a carcinogen, similar to like smoking cigarettes. However, if you do have that kind of a lifestyle where that's not, that's the only option, right? That's your current situation. You are able to reset some of these clocks via temperature. This, a lot of the cellular interaction body, the way in which they interact and talk to each other can be done and reset by temperature. And one way to increase the body's temperature is to exercise. So even if you don't have the ideal wake sleep cycle due to a job, if you are very consistent with the time in which you exercise every day, that has really been shown to reset things as far as your rhythms go to get things to resynchronize, even though your sleep situation may not be ideal. That's great. Okay. What about the person who they're not a shift worker? It's not going to be like crazy all over the place. They're not up till 4am, but they just like to be up a little bit later. Is there any, any science showing that that's less ideal to go to bed at midnight and get up at 7.30am? Or as long as they're consistent, is it fine? Really, this was a big argument early on in, in this kind of field of, of research. And, that, oh, there's people that are, are more night people. And there's other people that are more morning people, right? In reality, there is no such thing. <laughs> because if not very long ago, we didn't have electricity. And everybody just had firelight or candlelight, mm. right? So everybody was awake when the sun came up. And then everybody had about two or three hours after the sun went down journaling or whatever they wanted to do, right? And then sleep two to three hours after that last meal. So like, and sure there's outliers that are going to be, you know, outside of the mold. But in reality, most of the time, if you're staying up late, there's some reason in which that is craveable to you. Maybe you've got kids and it's the only time you get to be by yourself. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're in a job that you hate and it's the only time that you get to be in your own brain. So typically there's something else at play that you are, you know, addicted to that time, even though it's late and you've essentially put your clocks three or four hours ahead. It can be consistent, but it still may not mean you're getting the most health outcomes from that. Interesting. Because I've always said that I'm a night owl. Interestingly enough, my mom says she's a night owl. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What if, if you dial the lights back, right? Yeah. And because of my kids, um, when I was a nurse, I always worked like either 3 to midnight or 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. And so I would I would even say it's kind of the chicken or the egg thing. I'm like, am I a night owl because I just worked those those hours for so long? Or did I work those hours for so long because I am a night owl? I used to ask myself that. Either way, I kind of like wake up and I'm I'm energetic and creative at like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. 
And I, I just like staying up late. However, TK and I had this experiment. So we sent our last kid out of the house and it started getting dark earlier. And we were laughing because it's like 8 p.m. We're like, well, looks like it's time to end the night. <laughs> I think we're ready to go to bed now. So we now go to bed a lot earlier. And I guess what I'm saying is I, I actually think I've experienced what you just said. Because even though I say I'm wired this way and I've always lived this way, it didn't take long for me to flip to someone who likes to go to bed early. I don't wouldn't say I get up at 5 a.m. like you. I don't know that will ever happen, but I get that. So, okay, that was super helpful. So circadian rhythm, making sure there's consistency, looking at when we let light hit our eyes, blinding ourselves with light as soon as we can in the morning, and then toning it down in the evening. Do you do those? I could not do those blue blocker glasses at night. I spent all this money on those and I was highly recommended by all these people. And I'm telling you, it was just too weird for me. I'm like, everything looks orange. Like I was like, oh, look at me. I'm just so, I'm such a biohacker. You know, I'm like wearing those and I hated it. Yeah. From my perspective, if you really start to talk and look into the leading researchers in this field, you're basically saying that you're not letting any, and there's other light frequencies that can you know, engage those cells in that area, but blue light is the easiest one to trigger them. So if you're always wearing blue light blockers, you're essentially just, you you know, you're not telling your body anything as far as light coding. So in the world of circadian rhythm, like you should never wear blue blockers. Okay. Sorry, but you need to break that down for me. My brain's not taking that in. Maybe I'm hoping it's my estrogen levels causing me to not understand (laughs) that and not my IQ, but okay. Say it again. Cause my mind is seeing through a filter of, those glasses are good. My doctor told me to wear them. All these podcasts said to get them. And so you're saying that they're not just not super helpful, but they actually could be the opposite? Well, I think if if they're always on, you're never giving time for your physiology to see when like light, you're not letting, let's say if you put them on immediately in the morning, you would never let the light enter your your eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The systems, yeah. Oh right? no, I'm sorry. I said it in an unclear way. It's like two hours before bed. Yeah. So you're really just trying to limit. You're basically turning your lights off. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole different story. If you're wearing them all day, then you're never letting light enter. Totally. No wonder you didn't make sense because I was... Okay. Got it. So me putting them on a couple hours before bed actually is a great thing. But personally, I couldn't... Have you guys ever tried them? They're like, everything's orange and it's just bizarre. I'm like, I might as well just turn all the damn lights off and go to sleep. Yeah, just turn your lights down. Yeah. (laughs) Turn the TV on and off. I can't do it. To me, it's almost like a way to cheat because you want to turn like all technology off two hours before bed. And it's almost like you're wearing something so that you can still do that. Exactly. And it won't signal your brain. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that was good. That was super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That could be also like when you're wearing those and you're looking at your phone, you're still getting like the dopamine drive. Mm. Awesome. That was a good one. Yeah. All right, Dr. Lindsay, how about you? What's your first? All right. So I kind of am coming at this as a way to help free up some energetic space to be able to implement some changes. It's really hard to do something when you are energetically deprived or, you know, burnt out, have nothing left to give. And now you want me to make a bunch of changes? Like I from what? Like where are these changes going to come from? So I had thought of just some easy ways, I mean, not necessarily easy, but simple, and I think effective ways of just creating some more space for yourself. Um, So my first one is 
to, you know, everybody says to journal, but I don't necessarily think it has to be journaling. I think you just write it down, brain dump anything that's in your mind right now, just get it out. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to do anything. It's just to release that spin that happens often. And sometimes, you know, we think we have to put it on the planner. We think we have to put our gratitudes in. We think we have to put our goal for the day. And you don't have to do any of that to start with. Just get out whatever it is. When I sit down to start, it always starts with, I'm tired. My back hurts. I don't want to go to work today. And then slowly it'll start to get into to more stuff. And it kind of reveals things that are kind of just running in the background that you haven't even been aware of. And then it gets rid of, you know, just getting out on paper and releasing it that, you know, that constant spin of, oh, I don't want to go to work today. I don't want to do this uh, or any, anything. It helps me release those negative thoughts, vibes, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to, you don't have to think about what you're going to do for the day. Just get it out. Okay. So I love this because I've never been someone who, I guess I won't say never, but I I don't love to to be told like, write down your gratitude list, do your top 10 this, as Nick knows, because he tried to coach me. It's like a straight jacket for me. But I love what you just said. And I'm not saying this because it sounds good on the podcast. Like I, I really heard you and I was like, oh my God, I would do that. Like if you don't, but you just get a piece of paper and just free flow with no judgment, it doesn't matter what you're saying. It's almost like letting like parts of you be seen and heard that are stuffed away or hidden or... And when you were writing, I kept picturing, it's like you're you're taking a nice breath, but through paper and pen. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, mine's like not even legible. Nick always says, you can't read my handwriting anyways, but it, like, it doesn't make sense. It's like chicken scratch. And it usually starts extremely superficial if I give it time or if I've done it. Again. This is, you know, am I a person that thrives on the consistency that Nick Truby does? I do and I do it, but I feel like sometimes I get derailed much easier than than he does, especially with our little one. But when I've been doing it consistently, the superficial stuff is less. It, and then you, then you get to some of the, the things that are really, I think, I think under the surface and you're like, oh, okay. Have you ever done that and you saw something that you wrote and you were like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that that was a thing? Yes. So... Three years ago in January, I lost my father suddenly. I, I think grief is a tricky thing. And so I feel like that that gets woven in there. You think you're doing good. You got this. And then, oh, like, oh, maybe this is what's been, mm. I don't know, hiding in the shadows for a little while mm-hmm. and, and causing some other things. So I feel like, um, I don't know if anybody's, you know, walking through grief that it can definitely help get you through some of that. It, it brings to the surface some things that you are compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So if someone's doing that daily, do you think it matters? I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like, just do it. I know. Again, Nick's like, Jill, does this sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I kept it pretty free. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, so it doesn't really, I'm sure at the end of the day, it just do it. But did you find that it's better, I'm assuming, since as soon as you wake up, so you can just like let it go on paper? Or you're just like, no, honestly, Jill, at some point in the day, if you just write it down, it's helpful. Oh, yeah, I think at some point. I do think the act of writing helps get things out a little bit more. So I do think writing, but I find it just where it fits into my day. I find good benefit in the evenings too, especially when I've been working on a few stretch, like I'm at shift work. So I'll work between three and seven days in a row. And I find that one, I'm exhausted and I don't, I just want to go to bed, but it also helps me get rid of some of the stress from the day. 
and yeah. be able to just kind of shut my brain off to be able to go to bed because it's just these things that keep spinning. So mm-hmm. I think that there's a benefit to either one or any time. I just love there are no rules with it. There's no goal. You're not really thinking. You're just expressing and just writing. Because even journaling sounds different than what you just said. Because even people say you should journal. I've no, I'm like, okay, Judy, you think I don't know that? Everybody knows you should journal. Get a journal. I don't want to plan my day. I don't want to do yes. my goals necessarily yes. because I don't know when I'm going to have time for all of it. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, with three kids job, I feel like our, your goals get derailed. Like it depends on, you know, did somebody go to nap? Uh, and so just, yeah, did I, did they nap so I can, you know. Did they eat? Did my children yeah. eat? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like it's, um, I always just found more pressure with that. And I, I don't know, I just didn't, it didn't stick with me. What about this? For me, every time I would like, because I do have a very structured side too. It's, it's, it's like I'm two people. The structured side of me, like I love lists. I love a calendar. I'm like, I'm all that, that's a real side of me. Then the other part of me, this, maybe this is hard, why it's hard to be me. The other part of me is the rebel that's like, burn it all. Who cares? Just so, but when I, when I would write down, let's say what I want to accomplish for the day, whatever, or even to-dos. I'm like, I'm spending more time taking it from Monday and putting it to Tuesday, putting it from Tuesday and taking it to Wednesday. And then the mental load that comes with that of, oh, I didn't get that done. Oh, I didn't get that done. You know, that was, it was actually counterproductive for me. So again, I keep saying it, but I love the idea of just writing whatever with no pressure and just see what comes up. I did have to get better at when we have an event or something that comes up to put it immediately on the calendar because I'd always just store. I'm like, oh, I can have like 500 tabs open in here and it's fine. You know, it's (laughs) no big deal. So now at least if we have an event or something, it gets put onto the calendar immediately. So then I just, that spin is at least gone. But so yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I love it. Releasing the rules from it. The word that comes to me for just me talking is it immediately stops the energy leakage that happens behind the scene all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. it takes a lot of subconscious energy to be running those loops. And we don't realize that it's taking energy, but it is. It's, it is definitely like stealing. It's stealing from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. All right. How about you, Nick? Number two. Okay, number two. I mean, you're number two. My number two. Kind of piggybacks on what we talked about before in the circadian rhythm approach of things. And what most people are going to be familiar with that are listening right now is going to be intermittent fasting is the word they're, they're going to be comfortable with. It's all really based in the science of what's called uh, time-restricted eating. And I don't, I don't like that word because when I hear restrict restriction or restrictive, that's like a, I go the opposite way of that most of the time. So I, I choose the word eating windows. I think that, that for me feels really good when I talk about eating windows. When people look into like intermittent fasting, it's like it can be very tricky Number one, we all fast because we sleep, or we at least we should be. So we're not eating for however long we're sleeping. So we're all fasted at some point in time. And then they get really technical about when you're breaking your fast. When are you going to stop eating? Right. And when you when you really look at it from a simplistic point, you're attempting just from an overall feeling really good. That's my that's always my goal. Do I feel better now than I did before? It's a really, really easy thing for me to track. And from just a health side of decreasing a lot of things like cancer and cardiovascular disease and most things that people are worried about. 
is if you're somewhere between eight hours and 12 hours of when you're going to allow yourself to take in the very first calorie and when you're going to allow yourself to take in the very last calorie of the day. If that can be somewhere between eight and 12 hours, good things start to happen. Okay. So let's say I wake up at eight o'clock, making sure that I'm not eating anything after 8 p.m. and maybe even before that. What time are you going to bed? I'm sorry, if I were going to bed. Well, no, no, I was just counting the hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be, so that'd be like your maximum window of 12 hours, right. right? That's optimally. You also need to look into your best attempt at stop eating or your last bite of food about two to maybe three hours before you go to bed because it starts to mess with the you know natural melatonin and uh, cortisol production of your body that kind of slowly gets you into sleep, right? Because you're still digesting food and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Things are turning on in the background that it's not favorable for sleep. So for me, just to kind of give you a glimpse of what it looks like that works out for us, Lindsay and I are very similar, is that we're religious. And this is probably good because of our, our kids are pounding with their forks on the table. Whereas, you know, where's my food in the morning? <laughs> Why isn't our breakfast out here yet? <laughs> that was this morning. We slept. Yeah, we had our family stay last night and we slept in a little, you know, we didn't sleep in, but we were up, but we didn't cook breakfast normally. They walked down like, why isn't breakfast made? <laughs> Your so family is eat. like, geez, <laughs> yeah. kids. It's a 645. Why isn't breakfast made yet? You know, <laughs> so we we pretty much eat every morning around 645 and then our dinner is somewhere around 545 or 6. So we eat like around 11 hour is like our window of eating. And you're just like the sleeping and waking cycle. You're trying to be just as consistent as you can be with when you're eating very first in the part of the day and the very end of the day. And all of those things kind of help align all of those clocks internally to where they're going to function most optimally and most efficiently within, within your physiology. I was just going to say that if you're eating at the same times, I'm assuming that that's also going to help you with the others that you're trying to set. Yeah, it does. It really, they all kind of go, once you really dive into it, they really play well off of each other in that each one kind of leads to the next one. And then you almost start to, to crave it because you start to notice how good you feel at the time. You're like, I can get used to this. This feels really good. You know, um, you know, you never have to rely on any kind of stimulant or the afternoon coffee or whatever that looks like, because you're just like, you don't need it. And that's when I work with a lot of my clients personally, is that's the first thing, even before we start talking about macros and what's your water intake and how much protein are you eating? It's like, when are you first eating? When are you last eating? Is there any consistency with that? Let's start there because that's very simple. People can understand when they putting things in their mouth, right? Without regards to, well, is it, what kind of food is it, right? Then it gets complicated. Let's just start with something simple. First meal, last meal. What time are they? Can we be consistent? That's an easy place to start. Okay. So what about the people who hear this, especially women like around my age, menopause, hormones shifting, because we're being told intermittent fasting, I know that's not what you're calling it, but intermittent fasting in air quotes is not ideal for us. And you're not saying, I think I hear you saying, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to do the what you're being taught is intermittent fasting. I'm just telling you to mm-hmm. eat at consistent times morning and night and look at that window being maximum 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most people, a lot of the intermittent fasting that people are being educated on is an eight hour eating window. And that is, it was really kind of early on started for, you know, weight loss, very favorable for weight loss, eight hours. In reality, from a a sustainability standpoint, 
eight hours is very hard to get the number of calories that you really need for the day. And you need more time. You told me that. Okay. So I want to tell our listeners something because you, you taught me that because I had years of, as you know, years of, you know, always being thin, not having issues with any of that. And I didn't know I was under eating. I had no idea that I was under eating until I actually thought, okay, I think I need to lose weight now. You know, I had no clue. I trained my body. And part of it was because I thought it was really smart and healthy to, and it kept me the size I was to eat in a really small window of time. Cause I had a friend that was an athlete and anyway, it doesn't matter. She, she said that to me and I, I was like, oh my gosh, it, it really keeps me just really honed in on that where I want to be. And so you're right. I remember you saying to me, okay, that's fine. But how are you going to get like that many calories in that short of time? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I've never thought about that. And I was yeah. basically <laughs> eating like an anorexic. I had no idea. I was eating food. I wasn't starving myself that I knew of. So so I think it's really good that you're saying that because a lot of women especially are told to do intermittent fasting, especially for weight loss. And then they'll start getting into menopause. And that's the first thing you notice you should put on all this weight. And then they get told to do that, but be even more strict. And so I think it's good that you're saying, be careful. Yeah, I mean, metabolically, you've dialed back your metabolism so much. It's gotten used to a deficit and your new normal is so low that you have never been out of that. This is just your normal now. And then once you do hit menopause favorably, you know, environmentally within your body, things change hormonally to where you don't now have as much muscle mass to stimulate your metabolism. And now you're in like a world of a downward spiral, right? So you have to start with, do I have enough fuel to start my engine and keep it running? And a lot of times, like you mentioned, it's a four or five hour eating window and I'm eating 1200 calories. Well, how am I supposed to change? And I would say too that, and I know you'll probably touch on this later, is that a lot of times that workout is fasted. And so if you're hitting in, into a workout or doing anything else, it's in a fasted state. And I did, inter- I did a 16 and eight, I don't know, for probably a year. Mm-hmm. And then when we were trying to have our second kid, like took us quite a few months to have him. It took, yeah. it, things just weren't working right mm-hmm. with my body. It just didn't feel good. And my workouts didn't feel good because everything, everything was in a deprived state, basically. Yeah, not um, enough fat or protein. Yeah, and, and with my job, I couldn't, it was just very hard to get in that. And so I just tried something else. So I would say, even if you don't think that you have an issue or you feel fine, maybe you don't know, maybe, you know, loosening up the reins a little bit, seeing what a 12 hour window actually feels like and mm-hmm. just seeing if you start to feel better. Because I know that fasted workouts for me was a thing because that's when I could get them in. And it was really tricky. It, and maybe you can touch on a bit with one of your later points about yeah. that. But yeah. I don't know, just see how you feel doing something different. Mm-hmm. And if you are hungry, like at night, if you are hungry and consistently hungry, it's a pretty good cue of your window is too small. You didn't get enough calories compared to like me personally. This is where, where Lindsay thinks and most people think I'm annoying. <laughs> oh, well, let's just say you are annoying. I'm like, annoying. Yeah. So everybody just knows that. Right, I'll be like, right Nick, away. would you, it's, do you want this? It's fine. Here's like, what it's like knowing Nick. You want to treat? He's like, no, my window's closed. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I just say it's like 630. I'm like, my window's closed. It's an easy answer for me to say. I'm not, you know, it's for, it's an easy way for me. I'm to fine. Say. My window's closed now too. Having Nick Truby anywhere in your field. Like, I don't even know Nick. He coached me for a little while before I quit. And no fault of Nick's, of course, my whole podcast understands that it's my it's a me issue but here's what's like in my opinion Lindsay, you're married to him here's what's like just having it in my field a little everywhere i go i'm like oh there's nick like i, I go to i'm easy i'm like oh god i bet nick's there 
Now, I will say it is not from a judgmental place. No, I started to say that to me, but then it's like this. Yeah, it's just like, God, I just want you to do it once with me, man. (laughs) No, it's his. Here's what it is, Nick. It's your it's like having God right there. It's like, like, (laughs) like you're not judging. You're literally not judging. You're just like, I see you, but. I didn't say anything. You're the one thinking you should feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty at all. I'm just over here doing my deadlifts in the afternoon with my kids in the garage and getting up at 5 a.m. Yeah, you're the one assigning feeling to it. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I said, that to, I said that to my friend. I said, it's so funny because it's like, it is literally like God's watching you all the time, not judging, but you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I, it's, I don't know. It, it takes, like what we were talking about before, it takes a lot of mental energy away, like the negative part is just completely removed when I'm comfortable. Like my window is closed. Like yes. I can move on. God, right? I, I admire done. that. Yeah. Because then there's me and I'm like, Oh no, I want it. Do I want it? No, I didn't. Yeah. I, then I'll do it. And then I'm like, Oh, I can't believe I just did that. I don't want, I, then now I feel bad. I'm not You're like, should my window be closed? <laughs> can it be cracked? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, that's like- so good. But here's the so funny. I told you I'm like two different people. There is a part of me that when I actually have been a pretty disciplined person with, food, exercise, et cetera. I am like that too, Nick. That's what's funny. I laugh about it. And you don't know that, Jill, but there is a part of me that's like, I, you can't influence me. Like it, it's not your, it doesn't matter what you say. I've made my decision. And I channeled that towards business and I channeled that towards, and I used to be that way, even with food, et cetera, where I, anyway, I know, I remember how that feels where it's like, it doesn't matter what you say. I'm, I'm not going to eat after this time or I'm not going to eat that food. So uh, we admire it. It's a little <laughs> annoying, but we do admire it. Okay, so just since I've talked so much, a recap of number two. Your number two is? Number two, you figure out which eating window you're eating now and see if it's going to be enough and how consistent it is. Eight to 12 hours, keep it open for that long. Wait, your, your eating window or your fasting window? Your eating window. Is eight to 12 hours. Yep. So we we operate more on like an 11 hour. I think 10, 10 11 hours, that range is going to be more doable and doable long-term and you're not depriving yourself so much because that juice isn't worth the squeeze. When you when you start shifting it closer to eight hours and less than eight hours, you're making your life a living hell at that point in time. Well, what I did have since putting you on pause is I really didn't just put you out and pause and like go on a cliff, jump off a cliff. Like I really have been really intentional watching myself, observing what I'm eating. And here's one thing I realized that I, I hinted to it earlier when I said women, I was talking about myself. Because, you know, I've got all these other reasons for gaining this weight that we've talked about. Heavy metals, breast implants, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing is, I realize how little I normally eat, how I'm trained to eat so little, and I was so disciplined eating in a smaller window that I was proud of it, and I could get away with it. So I didn't know it was hurting me. So if you're listening and you're not yet to menopause, I'm telling you, you, if you think I was like, I would never gain weight. I was tiny. And I think that that according to what you've said, you've explained that I finally, it's almost like the, the dam broke. Like I hit a certain point. Yeah, I had some other factors going on. But at the end of the day, I was eating so little in a small window for so many years. And as I started observing myself just in the past couple of months, I'm like, you know, I really have to make myself eat before like noon. I have to make myself because I am not even hungry. And I'm eating, as I said, like someone who's trying to diet and lose weight. So, all right, that was super helpful. It could be part of the puzzle. All right, Lindsay, what, what's your next one? 
All right. My next tip to help free up some space is to be able to identify the story that you're telling yourself or making up in your head. So there are, you know, I feel like a lot of thoughts in our brain about a situation or circumstance, it's all a story, none of it's fact. And so we can get into this spin of making up, I don't know, whatever we want it to feel like. So really being able to slow down, say, is this a fact? Am I creating this? Is this the story that I'm telling myself? And I feel like most of the time, it's going to be the story that you're telling yourself. And that's a choice. So the story that you choose, that's a a choice. You can stop that. You don't have to continue to partake in it. You know, because I don't know if you're similar. I could have an interaction with somebody. And then, you know, for the next day, I'm still creating like you know we've we've argued we've i've made up like four different things that have happened and and none of it's none of it's true and it creates a lot of i don't know those things that are you know taking up a lot of space in the background and usually it creates a lot of negative feelings and a lot of negative thoughts too you know it's it's easy the brain really it tries to keep you safe it kind of hangs on to that negative thread it's effort to create the positive story um, mm-hmm. versus just going down the negative spiral. Fe- the feelings are real, but it's because of a, a made up thought, which is all a choice. Mm-hmm. I really love, I maybe sometimes I'm a little slow on the uptake. I get where you're going here, like with your list. I know you said it in the beginning, but I'm just now getting, it's so cool because I'm seeing you sitting next to each other side by side and your side is helping me free up the space to be able to implement what his side is teaching me. This is really good. Yeah, because, you know, if you are toast, if you are, if you got nothing left to give at the end of the day, even something as simple as go to bed at the same time every night when you're like, I have kids, they have activities, like I have nothing left to be able to make these changes. So just being able to, I don't know, have a little bit more energy reserves, you know, you can't just necessarily create more energy for the day, but you can, mm-hmm. you can free up some of what you are what you have to begin with. And it's interesting because we've talked for three years about like the stories in our head and all that, but we've never said what you just said, by the way. It's never been from a standpoint of this is going to free up space. I honestly do not think about it like that. I like when people can make me really think about something. So I understand everything about the stories and where they come from and da, da, da. But I never thought about the fact that that's taking up my energy reserves. And so I think that's really helpful for our listener to hear that because they may not, when you say that you have nothing left to give, they may not even know they have nothing left to give. They may be like, what the hell's wrong with me? Nick is like a great coach. He's not hard on me. He doesn't judge. He doesn't push me too hard. He just invites me to stretch myself a little. It's it's nothing that should be this challenging to me. Why is it so hard for me to do that? And they have no idea that it's because of those internal stories and all that energy being put in those areas. Yeah. And then usually what follows that thought process is a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of um, judgment on that. Which takes up more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the way I have found trying to tease out the the facts, you know, a fact is something that everybody can agree on. It is provable in a court of law. This is, I don't know, true based on every single person. Because, you know, we can see everything through our own filter. So that is a fact. And the way I can identify that is it used to happen when I was journaling. I could see when I kind of the brain dump that we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. I could pick out these little things and I'd be like, wait, is this a true fact? Or is this just a thought that I'm having about this? So you can kind of pick and choose that. But now, usually, especially during work or in a situation, 
it starts with the feeling. I can feel like my chest is like getting tightened up and it, it becomes more tight. And then it's, then I can check in and be like, wait, what's happening? Is this even true? Am I spending all this energy on it? And is it even true? Mm-hmm. And generally it's not, not for me at least. <laughs> Usually it's some elaborate story that I've made up about how I'm, you know, this happened. I'm terrible. And they're thinking that about me and I can't believe I did this. And, and it's none of it's true, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes it's not even a story like that. Sometimes it's not those stories. Sometimes it's even the ones that we don't even know are a story. Like, like it could be, I don't have time. Yeah. For sure. I don't have time to do that. Is that really true? Mm-hmm. Are you positive? It's I have true. No choice. Yeah. I have no choice. I don't have enough time. It's always going to be this way. It's just menopause. It's what menopause does to people. Yeah. That's great. All right. How about you, Nick? This is the last one on food, I promise. <laughs> but I think it's the next step for, you know, after you've gotten comfortable and experimented. Because I look at everything as an experiment. That's fun for me. That's more freeing when I think of it that way. When I think of it, I'm being told or I should or I need to, I'm immediately turned off. So it's like, if I can enter that space as an experiment, I can kind of take stock with how I see things and feel, and then I can go any direction I see, right? So... Uh, hopefully that's coming across when I'm talking about some of these things and not the psycho that can be depicted from it. <laughs> but the next one is like, uh, this is one what I see 95% of people I work with across the board is, you know, let's keep it simple again. How much protein are we eating? Right. And you can look at it from a lot of different standpoints. I look at it as, all right, what are the standards? How active am I? All the other things in reality, most people would really benefit from somewhere around like, and I'll kind of explain the conversions in a second, 1.5 to 1.7 grams of protein per kilogram, your body weight. So if you're not familiar with kilograms, take your weight in pounds, divide by 2.2. That's, that's how much you weigh in kilograms. And then you want to take that and multiply that number by 1.5. And then take that number again and then take your body weight in kilograms and multiply by 1.7. And now you have a range of how many, how much protein am I trying to eat in a day? And especially as we age and especially if we're more active, this is really going to help create a more favorable environment metabolically and intramuscularly to maintain and increase muscle as much as you can. Because when we think about, like we've talked about, all these things kind of relate back to it, even in menopause, even postmenopausal women a lot that I work with, consider this to be one of your biggest priorities. If you can get to this point, we can really start to see some good things happen, right? Strength, functionality. And people, it's, it's amazing. It's like, oh, I, I'm like growing hair again. I have fingernails again, right? <laughs> like as yeah. simple as that. Or you start to see things taking place inside your body. Like, oh my gosh, where, what have I been doing the past 20 years to myself? And one thing I noticed, obviously I told you I have under eaten for a long time. I also was hardly getting any protein. I also went through a, a period of time with the company I worked with. They were so plant forward that they programmed me to believe that I shouldn't be eating meat. And I had did that for a while. But here's what I've noticed. When I am eating, I'm never eating enough protein, but I, I, I get pretty close. I've been better. I also noticed that I hardly have any sugar cravings. And that shocked me shocked me. Like, why would I have less sugar cravings? And, and I also, I just feel better. I just feel so different. And is this true that, that I was told also that if you're getting enough protein, even if you're not 
lifting weights and working out like you feel like you should, you can actually start seeing some fat loss just from getting consistent high levels of protein every day. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, in, internally, what's really you know hurting most people is their carbohydrate and sugar intake is so high that you start to affect your your ability of insulin to actually bring in nutrients into the cell from the bloodstream. And that's when a lot of metabolic things start to break down that lead to things like weight gain or muscle wasting and things like that. And it doesn't surprise me because, you know, when you look at sugar in general, it's is addictive, if not more addictive than a lot of things that are on the street, right? Recreationally. And it really tr- targets and triggers that dopamine system of that was really good. I want more. Right. And then you're not even focusing on the bite you're taking now because you're thinking about the next one. Right. Uh, you know, I always say that people in food industry have the best psychologists working for them. They, they understand exactly how to make that food taste. So you want more of it. Right. Regardless of if it's actually good for you or not, that's not, that's besides the point. So it kind of hits you in mul- multiple directions without you really noticing it until you remove yourself from it. And you're eating things that actually go towards making cell walls and creating muscle fiber, you know, in, in increasing the size of muscle fibers or creating energy, not from sugar, which can, you know, I, I don't want to get too boring here, but it, it can definitely make you feel better. And this is my, my, like I mentioned before, do I feel better after than I did before? Mm-hmm. If that's kind of a, a central theme and focus in the choices you're making throughout the day, it's very easy to continue making those choices. I love that question. That's a really, that's not something that's said often enough by probably for a few people. Is this making me feel better? Because everyone's giving us advice. Do this, don't do that. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. But it's very rarely that you hear an expert say, you're probably the only person I've ever heard say this actually. Do you feel better? Like trust your own body. If you don't feel better, then go in a different direction. And you are right. When I was supposed to eat more protein, I'm like, okay, fine. Eat more protein, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't until I noticed I felt better that I was hooked. And I was like, oh, I think I want to eat more protein. So I'm glad you said that. How long do you think it takes for most people to notice? That's such a hard question, right? Because they could be eating like hardly any. Like I was better. I was eating like, I was eating like 40 grams of protein a day. Mm, maybe. That's, that's very common. No, that's very common. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And when I got to the point where I could get to like 80 to 100, like I've got that pretty dialed in, 80 to 100. Because with, with my weight, which I'm not saying out loud on on here, I've been really good about that. You've been so proud of me, Dad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 80 to 100. And getting over that is hard for me just because I'm not, my window's still too narrow and it's hard to get all that in. But I noticed, I mean, within days, I'd say within a day or two, I felt different. Yeah, it can be that quick. And, you know, for most people, it might be a week or 10 days or whatever, where you're really removing yourself from. Because when you really look into your, if you're really inspecting your diet, there's a lot of hidden sugar places where you never expect it if you're not really, you know, up on it and kind of patrolling it. But it doesn't take long. I mean, I think it's, it can be very, very quickly. And the thing I love most about it is it's, it's giving you the, like you mentioned before, you're never being told. I feel like that's very restrictive when you're being told what you need and should and what you're doing before is bad, blah, 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 right? Compared to like you taking charge, however little that might be in the moment in very small, but you're always checking in with yourself, right? You're always coming back to the authority of that. And which is why a reason I, I used to wear, you know, a smartwatch, used to have all the stuff. I don't wear any tech on me anymore because what I found is we start to give the authority away from us to a device that it's a black box equation. You don't know how they created that. And I've seen 
statistics enough in my field to, and I was good enough to where I can make it say what I wanted it to say with statistics. So if I know there's money involved and I can make money on this, not I'm not saying that these things are bad at all, because a lot of them are very accurate. I've tested them against gold standards and a lot of them are very accurate. However, you are not the authority anymore. That little device that you're wearing tells me what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And you've taken all the control and power away from yourself in that moment. Mm-hmm. Super good. Okay. So not to go off into too much of a tangent, but do you have anything to say about, no judgment I got, obviously, but do you have anything to say about people who are afraid of animal protein? Like, why is that good? If they can find like really, because I was, I wasn't even, a, I, let's not even get into it. I wasn't a vegan. I was someone who was, I think, trying to be so plant forward that I almost was a vegetarian. But I know a lot of women, let's say 50 and over, the more animal protein they get, they feel different. And why is that? I'll say this. If you look at the standards, our standards from the government are 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram body weight. It's about half of what I think you should be getting based on a lot of the data. And a lot of the current recommendations are steering away from animal protein. However, our prevalence of cancer and cardiovascular disease have never been higher. So that is a light bulb in my mind. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other cofactors that obviously are part of the equation. However, when you do start to actually have animal protein in meat and eggs and things along those lines, as humans, we still have to have of the 20 amino acids, nine are essential. And when you're eating an animal protein, there's always all nine of those essential amino acids that you can only get from animal products. I did not know so that. So if you're not if you're not really strategic when you're eating food that doesn't involve any kind of animal product, you have to know exactly the breakdown of all those amino acids to know which one is missing, how can I replace that with another food, right? At the same time, you're missing things like creatine that's natural in beef. There's many other things. I, I just don't think it's replaceable. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my friend, Kiki. I know you've started following her on Instagram now. She did. We did an episode together, Kiki Herwitt. Hi, Kiki. And she's just like, her, her, her diet is just so dialed in, her nutrition. And she was helping me. I was like, I, I'm trying to get more protein, but it's hard for me. And so there's so many little hacks. Do you have any any hack or suggestion? Like one thing I started doing is like adding cottage cheese to my scrambled eggs to like get more protein. Or one thing she does is she does non-fat Greek yogurt and puts protein powder in it as a snack. Mm-hmm. Those are ways to, because I know someone might be hearing me, there's going, there's no way I'm getting a hundred or more grams a day. It's hard. But if you're really intentional about it, there are all these sneaky ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And too, like if you if you are eating 40 grams a day, which a lot of people are, and all of a sudden you need to get to 100, don't expect that to happen overnight. That's, it's gonna, you got to baby step your way. Can I get to 50 this week? Can I get to 60 the week after, right? Like you having that approach, you're going to be way more, hopefully successful with it. Me personally, I mean. He eats enough. I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, don't use yourself as an example. <laughs> I do supplement with protein powder and creatine every day. Okay. Um, I think that's, for me, that's an extra way to get the, over the hump to that final part that's hard to get to. Should we only do creatine if we're lifting weights or do you think every, most people listening to this podcast are women. Do you think we need to have creatine or? I think you do. And this is the stigma is the high school weight room. You know, all those guys are taking, they're taking creatine, right? Number one, they're all taking like 30 grams a day, which they're having expensive waste products at that point. However, when you look at the details, you really need like for an adult male my size, five grams per day is plenty. Like 
for a per person Lindsay size, a smaller petite female, maybe even two grams per day. Okay. It's supplementary is enough. And it's amazing how much better you feel when you do have that. Okay. I'm going to try it then because I bought some several months ago. I think I did it twice and I'm like, I don't even know if I should do this. I put it in my coffee. I put it in my coffee. Oh, that's smart. That's a great little hack. Side note, you'll see when your kids get older. The funny thing about parenting is they get older and you realize you'll be teaching them things that you currently believe that are completely contradictory (laughs) to what you taught them when they were younger. So my son, George, wanted to do creatine in high school. I'm like, you're not having that. You don't need that. I swear to you, I didn't just buy it. I was like, hey, George, you should try this in your shake. And he's like, are you kidding me? And I said, what? And he goes, mom, that's creatine. And I'm like, is there something wrong with it? And he goes, that's the stuff you told me that I couldn't have. And it was bad for me when I was in high <laughs> school. Bad, right? And now you're 50 and you're like, you should have some creatine every day. <laughs> and like most, there's a terrible stigma in the, in the part of the world. But when most of the research early on was for brain health, like processing capacity and things like that. Oh, v- Very favorable from the nervous system, from the neck up, creatine. Oh, see, that's a great little add-on there because I'm struggling with that. Okay, good. That's really why I started taking it early on was like, I started reading the details. I'm like, oh, really good for when you're sleep deprived and you need to be able to think. Creatine has like been shown to help you do processing and re- reprocessing and stuff like that. So awesome. cool. Okay. All right. More protein. We're going to do it. All right, Lindsay. All right. The next one is just allowing something to be a data point. It doesn't have to have a judgment with it. So I got 40 grams of protein in today. Okay. Like I don't have to make it mean something else. It can just be okay. I, you know, I, um, I'm 11 months postpartum. I did a Peloton ride and I don't know if you have a Peloton, but it'll, if you do a 20 minute ride, it gives you like your previous best. And so you can see where you used to be or what your best one was. And I did a ride, um, last week and, it was significantly worse than less pow- power output, less, <laughs> less power. Output. You already said worse, right? <laughs> it was bad. No but judgment, was, but it was bad. I saw it. Was, but no it judgment. Was, okay. It was not what it used to be. There you go. <laughs> I know. <laughs> See, you can stop it. You can, you can stop the spin, but yeah, just allowing it to be, you know, a data point like, Oh, okay. I did that. Let's move on and and see how we can move forward from that. It doesn't have to mean something. It doesn't have to mean that you are out of shape, terrible. I have so much work to do. You know, then you can just go down another spiral, but just allowing it to be data point and be done. Okay. Just you even saying that, even just like, we'll just leave it there because saying it the way you said it without elaborating is basically doing what you just said. And I love it. Like, let it be a data point. That's it. Like that's, that's a very confronting statement to someone like me who has perfectionistic tendencies and is always thinking I should do things better. Hearing you say that is like, thank God. And at the same time, it feels, I know you know what I'm saying here. It feels very like unnatural. And I'm, I'm so glad you said of all the things you could have said for your top five, I would have never expected someone to say, just allow it to be a data point and that's it. It's very, it's very doctor-like of you and I love it because this is what I do. Even though I say I've done all this growth, I've done this personal development, I've healed my trauma, blah, 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 blah. I beat the shit out of myself. Yeah, I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying I do it all the time, but if you can just see it and let it go, like, and, and then, you know, plot your graph if you want. It doesn't have to mean anything. It doesn't have to mean anything about you. Especially in the exercise world, I think. Even with everything Nick said, you applying that to everything he said is like, okay, try to eat more protein 
and then you record what you ate and that's it. There's no story about it. It's just whatever because I make up the whole story or I justify it. Maybe I don't beat myself up, but I make up a story to justify it, to cushion it. Okay, so Nick, I only did this, but this is why. I had this going on, I had this going on, and I would have done more because I'm a go-getter. You don't know I'm a go-getter, but I am a go you know. And that's another energy leak like you're talking about. And you like to beat him to the punch because you think he's going to think something about you. Yeah, I know. I've already thought about it myself, so I don't need you to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. He's right there. Yeah, we've already made up the story that they're going to think, yeah, we could just, you know. Yeah, we, we could, could go all day. That's, that's very... It's very interesting. I love that one. Okay, just let it be a data point. That's it. And then I like what you said, then plot your graph. Yeah, and and just see, observe where things headed. In every area of your life. Yeah, the ones you want to. Yeah. The ones that feel good. (laughs) And even as we're going through this new year, as we go through the whole year of 2024, I'm thinking whatever happens throughout the year, just let it be a data point. That's it. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't have to mean whatever it is you want, you know, are going to make it up to mean. Yeah. Love it. All right, Nick, what's your next one that's not about eating? Next one's not about eating. These kind of, my last two will kind of pair together. This one is, so I stopped using the word exercise and workout like maybe a year or so ago. I found that both of those words tend to be very, there's a, there's a baggage that goes along with those. And most people say them to themselves. I got to go work out. Work is in that word. I'm already worked today. I don't want to work anymore. Right. So I started using the word movement. And for me, that feels much more fluid and freeing and experimental. Right. Now, oh, I have that. Well, what, what can I do today? Right. This sounds fun. And I think once you shift to that a little bit, and, and this is where I've made a lot of conscious changes in being intentional with the words that I use in a lot of things. A big one, I think, for a lot of people is that word workout and exercise. So for me, it's like movement. And along with that, I think we have a lot of bad habits, just general P in general people with once you think about we're resting right now, we're very comfortable, right? We have, we're like, well, us, we're in our closet. It's not very comfortable, but most people listening <laughs> might be like in their favorite chair, like the mood lighting's right. I just, I've got my favorite drink. This is very comfortable, right? And then you think about exercise, your brain immediately goes to the very most challenging, high intense portion of that exercise session, right? It's like mentally, you can't get from where you are to there right? And your body and your brain is such an, a protective capacity, it won't let you get there, right? Mm-hmm. Survival mode. So number one, you, you can kind of backdoor your brain a little bit with like movement. Well, brain's like, what's movement? This could be anything, right? It'll kind of ease up the reins a little bit. And then you have to kind of tease it again. Well, we're not going to think about the hardest part. We're going to start in whatever workout we're doing, doesn't matter, or whatever movement session we're doing. We're going to start with movements that are really easy physically that we know we've done these before. They're very easy. However, they give us a very big return on our very little energy investment. We notice feeling better. This feels pretty good. My hips feel good now, right? I wasn't comfortable before, but I feel really good now. What's next, right? It's like you're kind of leaving breadcrumbs that you're tricking your brain to allow that next little bit to happen. And before you know it, you're like, you're full on into your movement session. You're like, how did I even get here? It's like fun now. So it's, you're really taking a backdoor approach and tricking what's kept us as humans alive so long that we are able to kind of, you know, keep ourselves protected. However, it doesn't really help us when we think about a lot of things that allow us to be healthy in living our most highest selves, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of discomfort with a lot of those things that allow us to be that person. 
So maybe just having people that are listening consider being more intentional with the words they use initially about getting their bodies moving and then starting each one with something that they know they're going to get big reward from little effort and just kind of see where that leads them to. Are there any you would suggest where you get a big reward for little effort if someone is like, okay, I don't even know what to do? Mm -hmm. Great question. For me, soft tissue work. And if you've never done it before, it's going to be very uncomfortable. However, with some consistent, Lindsay's shaking her head. (laughs) With consistent, like foam rolling, stick rolling, lacrosse ball, things like manual. Um, Initially, if you've never done it before, it's going to shock your nervous system. You're going to be very awake and alert. I'll leave it at that. However, with some consistency, you really tap into more of a therapeutic effect of it. And then you notice how it almost unlocks your body and allows you to more easily get into positions that were a struggle before. So now it's like even more of like, oh, this used to be hard before. Now it's just pretty easy. This feels pretty good, right? You kind of see where you're, you're letting your brain get to without having to put the, the shields up. So that's my initial every time. Other ones that I do. I would have never guessed. Sorry, I just want to say, I would have never guessed you would have said that. Yeah. That's going to be like really refreshing for people to hear. Okay, wait, I could just use a foam roller or lacrosse balls or whatever. Yeah, it might be a little uncomfortable. But they were picturing a move in the weight room, you know. Yeah, get on a treadmill and whatever, right? The boring stuff. Yeah. Um, And then other ones that really give me a big bang, like big reward or like I just do dead arm hangs. I'm just going to hang there and you're just like, this feels pretty good, right? What does that do? Because I did that a year or so ago when I was working with a trainer. It was, okay, let me tell you, when I would do it, I knew it was good for me and it was so hard for me. Like I felt anxious. Why is that? You know how your body holds on to stuff. And I'm telling you, Nick, when I would do it, I would. I remember even saying to him, this is going to sound cuckoo, but when I do that and I hang, there's something in my body that's like, doesn't like the feeling, even though I know it's good for me. It's, it was very hard to describe and it was hard for me to hang on because I wanted to let go. And I don't know what it was. Well, your, your nervous system is searching frantically for stability oh that's what it is especially around the spot we're on the spine when there's a lot a lot of nerves that are like interacting with signals there's a lot there so it's like oh my gosh there's nothing here now what am i supposed to do i need something i need some structure where am i supposed to go right oh my god that's a great metaphor for my life right yeah (laughs) think (laughs) about that and you you totally deload that whole area and finally allow it to actually relax your whole body relaxes with it right that is so, oh yeah, we, we won't, I swear, I know you have to go, but we could talk for an hour about that. <laughs> now that's like blowing my mind because that is a metaphor for life. If you think about it, like me, do, it's not a hard movement to hang on to the bar and just, but it, it was hard for me mentally. Like my, my, I just felt like this anxiety. That's so interesting because mm-hmm. I don't like to feel helpless too. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So sorry, that's one. And what was another one? I mean, the other ones are like very easy moves, like when you're on the ground and like your downward dog or your pigeon pose or like little ones that kind of get your body moving and feeling good without a ton of effort. Like some functional body weight. Movement. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually thought of you today because I was out um, with my grandson Rocco and I had my big boots on and it was rainy and kind of gross outside and he wanted to go out and I wanted to get out and take a walk. And as I was just walking with him, walking around, and then we were playing tag at Cops and Robbers and he was chasing me. I realized, you know what? This, I was out for an hour. I wasn't consistently moving every second, but I was outside for an hour, moving my body with heavy boots, doing a little jogging here and there, going around. And I was really proud of myself because when I first met you, I would have never counted that as any kind of movement. Right. You're re 
conditioning all the stuff in the past of like, it's got to be sweating. It's got to be in this environment. I've got to hate every second of it. That's exercise. With a cute outfit on. With a cute outfit on. <laughs> and everybody, and I'm wondering what everybody's thinking about me. All, all high intensity. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, Lindsay. So let's go for your uh, number four on your list. Right. My number four is to follow the golden thread. So when things keep coming up, it keeps presenting itself to you in whatever it is. Uh, I don't know, maybe give yourself the opportunity to explore it. Whether that's, you know, we talked before this podcast about maybe some different ways of thinking about health or I don't know, I don't want to say unconventional because that's not not necessarily the word I want to use, but maybe not as well known or not as mainstream. You know, if it's coming up, if things don't quite sit right and it's presenting itself to you, explore it. Get curious about it. See, why not? I feel like a lot of that for me in the last year has been with hobbies. I don't know. So it doesn't have to necessarily just be with health. Mine was, you know, started scuba diving because it kept coming up. Right now, just signed up for tennis lessons because it just kept, I've talked about it with Nick like five times. I'm like, I just wanted to sign up for tennis lessons. So I think just getting, I don't know, curious about the, the things that keep presenting themselves to you. Follow the golden thread. See where it leads you. That's a good one. I have written on my whiteboard in front of me, uh, whatever I'm seeking is seeking me. And so I would think about that. I don't remember who said that, but someone wise. And it's like, the thought is that whatever people believe in, I, I'll say God, like there are no accidents. You thinking, I think I want to play tennis. There's a reason you thought that. Maybe Nick never thought that, but you did. So honoring that, you're calling it the golden thread, which I love. Honoring that and following that because there's something in there for you that may have nothing to do with tennis or movement. Maybe it's a friendship you're going to make. Maybe it's a connection that's going to, whatever. So I love that. Follow the golden thread. Yeah. Opening yourself up to opportunities too. I think that that can also, you know, in health and lifestyle changes and whatever that is, if something keeps striking your curiosity, then explore it. You know, it might not be what is told that you should do or is, you know, mainstream recommended advice, but I don't know, maybe there's something there for you that, like you said, that could really add to your well-being or your enjoyment, your joy, whatever it is that you can get out of it. Mm -hmm. What about this? Because this is like flipping. I don't know. It's the other side of that coin, but it's like a part that just made me, it made me think of this, that because when you said pay attention, pay attention. Okay. So when my kids were little, there were things that I noticed that I would tell my doctor. And I was an obedient nurse. My brother's a physician. We have medical people in our family and doctors are always right. That was what I was told to believe. And I believed that. And no matter what I would say, I would defer to whatever my doctor said. And there were, I will call them golden threads, things that I noticed, particularly, let's say about my oldest child. I'm like, you know, her lymph node just like got huge. And I understand you told me to give her some antibiotics, but like, why is it doing that? Well, I don't know. I don't know. It could be this. It could be that. But, and they would just put a bandaid on it and I would go out the door and then it would happen again. And I would go, why, why does she look different than the rest of us? She doesn't look different. I'm like, no, she does. Her hair is really fine. Ours is very thick. She has very dark circles under her eyes. She's, you know, I would name these things and several doctors would tell me, they would dismiss me. And it wasn't until she was 21 years old or 20-ish, 21 in the emergency room, pregnant and a hospitalist young female said to me, I'm going to ask you a question. I, I, it's, it may, I don't want to freak you out, but I'm just going to ask you a question. I feel really called to say this to you. I'm like, say it. She goes, does she have a connective tissue disease? And I said, 
I don't think so. And she goes, can I share something with you? And I said, say it. She goes, she looks like every person who has a connection. No one's ever said this to you. And I said, no. Well, turns out there are a few things there. So is that an example too of another kind of golden thread where it's like your mother's intuition or just you as a person, you're like, I smell something and everyone's telling you they don't? Oh, yeah. I think in life, in medicine, in I, I don't feel like there are absolutes. I don't feel like there is one way to do everything. So I feel like your gut knows something. And I think that being able to trust it and listen to it and explore it in whatever that way is. So yeah, I get kind of turned off by only one way to do things. This is it, nothing else. I think there's something to say, like, I I don't know, uh, but we could, or you could, or just leaving the door open for other exploration, not just shutting it off completely. But I think there's something to a mother's, I think there's something to trust in your gut. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, even with some of these, for us, we have changed a lot of lifestyle stuff within the last five years. And, you know, do I have an evidence-based paper to prove everything that we are doing is worthwhile? Not necessarily, but I know how I feel when I do things and I know how I feel when I do other things. And and so I think being able to, you know, check in, see, does this help me? Is this not? Does this make sense? Is this connecting some dots? And just allowing that to be a possibility. I love that. And I especially love that coming from a physician. It's refreshing and I appreciate it. Is there anything that you do in your personal life that you maybe were educated or taught that may not be the way to go, that you go the other way? I don't want to say necessarily educated or taught, but maybe what is recommend that there's no evidence to... Yes. Okay. That makes a difference. So for us, we are fragrance-free um, home or we don't have fragrances. We try to steer clear of artificial dyes. And I'm not saying that that's perfect by any means, you know, but we try the best we can. So yeah, fragrances, dyes are the big things for us. We try to limit, I don't know if that's the right, you know, snacks and kids are just all the things, but um, we try to limit processed foods as much as possible, but mm-hmm. we did much better before kids. Mm-hmm. But now the beauty of like a, a bar is is wonderful. But those are the big things for us that we kind of adhere to all the time. And we like to avoid natural flavors and and things that just say fragrance because mm-hmm. they don't they're not regulated, so they can mean anything, and you don't know what it is. So yeah, that's a good one. Thank you for sharing that. The one thing I have done well, I'm proud of, is I think it's been probably 15 years now. I haven't used any. I would say chemicals on my body. I don't do perfume. All my makeup's clean and natural. I've cleaned my whole house with thieves oil and water forever. You too. Deodorant. <laughs> deodorant. Yeah. I was like, does he, do you have BO or are you recommending a deodorant to me? Yeah, not um, like that. He's showing me his arm. So yeah, natural. clean deodorant, yeah. natural deodorant. I've done that for a long time. And it was because a physician who was just really ahead of her time shared information for me that she actually said, you know, I don't have any science to back this up. But does it make sense to you that it'd be good for you to put this on the largest organ of your body? I'm like, oh, never thought about that. So thank you for adding that. That's a good one. That and there are there are options. We'll kind of get into kind of one of my last ideas. So I might piggyback on that in a few minutes. Okay. All right. How about you, Nick? My last one is it kind of goes. I think most people are going to be familiar with uh, like hot and cold. You know, everybody's looking into the sauna and the ice bath and things like that. As and there's a lot of 
obviously positives with that, but it really goes back to kind of a fundamental thing within our nervous system of contrast. And I think there's other ways to achieve that, or at least a similar way of building an indie routine outside of, you know, ice bath and, and sauna. And for me, I do it with resistance training and this can be any kind of movement with or engaging with your body. It can be heavy and light. What's the difference between heavy and light? What's the difference between slow and fast? You know, you're really creating and mapping a, a spectrum within your nervous system of what's one end look like, what's the other end look like. And now I can see the entire playing field, right? And this to me goes back to just the basics of how we're so geared towards safety and comfort and how we're always being drawn towards the middle, right? Of that spectrum where we can't feel joy, we can't feel sadness, right? We can't feel whatever you want to define that as, right? And anytime you put it back into that simple kind of, uh, you know, construction, it really leads back to restriction and negativity. And you're always kind of being forced back to the middle where you can't feel anything, right? So I make sure just because I've, I've seen it in my practice now where sometimes I lift when I feel good, I lift things that are really heavy for me personally, right? Or I lift them really slowly or I lift something that's kind of lighter, but I intentionally lift it as quickly as I can. Let's move it as fast as I can. Let's create those outliers of what that spectrum looks like. Now I can see it all. Now I can feel it all. Now I'm not being urged towards safety. I'm being urged towards freedom and exploration of what these things feel like. And what I think for me, it builds a lot of trust in that I am okay with both sides of the spectrum. And I am, you know, I'm willing to accept either one of those at any point in time. And that's very freeing for me compared to always being forced back to the middle to not feel anything at all. So just establishing some level of contrast and whatever you want to kind of classify that as for me, I kind of move it back to my body and movement because that's very relatable to me. And I think it's an easy way to engage in our nervous system and map that that spectrum. I love that. It reminds me of, in my training on trauma, it reminds me of building your window of tolerance, right? You've got your emotional window of tolerance and what can your nervous system handle? And how can you like expand that and be able to tolerate more without like just stuffing it down? And that's it's almost like that's a, another way of doing that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's some, a lot of metaphors too. It's like, oh, I can, I'm choosing to put myself in this level of discomfort. However, I'm overcoming this huge amount of resistance. I know what that feels like. I can relate that to other things in my life that were heavy and, and a lot of resistance. And I've proven and I've built trust within myself and my nervous system that I have some capacity of, of being able to navigate that now. Mm. It makes me even think of like the whole would you call it dead arm hang? What do you call that? Dead arm hang. Dead arm yeah. hang makes me think of that too. Like that's slow. That's not something that feels productive in a weight room, right? But it's super challenging and it, it has your body, you know, pushed to a different edge in a different way. Yeah. And it taps into like one of my points was going to be breathing, but you, I'm sure you're going to have like a lot of episodes coming up on that since you just spent a good week, you know, learning all that. But it, it kind of taps into that as well. You know what? Do that for a really quick bonus. Just give us one quick, simple, maybe explain box breathing or like, how about this? Why would looking at the breath be helpful in the new year with their health? Yeah. uh, For me, a really easy one that you get immediate reward from is just diaphragmatic breathing. Just lying on your back, feet elevated, one hand on your chest, one hand on your stomach. 
in the hand that's on your chest doesn't move and the hand that's on your stomach rises and falls, right? Really allowing your diaphragm to control your abdominal muscles to control that breath. And with that, I really think it's, it kind of resets your nervous system to number one, relax, and then take stock in what is actually controlling your body and turning off all the accessories that are helping you. <sighs> right, as soon as you start using accessory breath muscles, you're immediately put into that fight or flight type of environment. Um, so it really just kind of lets you reset, take stock of where you are, and then it gives you a good kind of foundational pl- place to build from. Oh, way better than I could have said it. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Really great. I don't great. know about that, but... <laughs> it was, no, it was great. All right, Lindsay, are we on your last one? Yes. My last one is... Drum roll. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Oh. No pressure. <laughs> it is understanding that oh. everything is a choice. So I feel like... A lot of times we say, I don't have a choice. I can't do it. It's it's immediately shutting down whatever energetic wave is going to come with that. So you have a choice in everything that you do. Now, that doesn't mean that you might like the circumstance or that circumstance might be uncomfortable, but there's a choice there. And I kind of made that shift with work because I was really, when I was really burnt out and then just understand it. this is a choice. I'm choosing to go to work right now. Like I don't have to do anything. Now, would that mean that we have to change our lifestyle? Of course, like that's the circumstance. But I had a, I have a choice in what I'm going to do, and I think you can open that up to everything, and it allows you to not be, you know, passive or just, you know, going through the motions. You can open up choice to consumerism, what you choose to exercise, choose to listen to. Everything is a choice. It's so empowering. It's a better, you know. I love the term "come from." The "come from" is so empowering. Like. Look, I would have less money, but I don't have to be at this job. I don't have to even be a physician anymore. I could literally walk away tomorrow and do something else if I choose. I love it. I don't have to be angry right now. I don't have to. Yeah. And so I think that that can also be in in what you choose to put on your body to consume. You you don't have the one choice that is being marketed to you. You have other options. You have the availability and the capability to do research, to make a conscious choice. Because I think it also brings you know, back that authority that you can do and choose what works best for you. And so just being able to shift you know, the phrases that you say of what if, or I can do that. It, just being able to stop saying, I don't, no, I don't have a choice. I have to do these things. I'm trying to think of some other ways to to reframe that. No, you put it beautifully. And I'm thinking even like, if you really think about it, you don't even have to send your kids to school. You don't have to just because everybody else is doing that. I mean, you could completely do something opposite. Or me saying, you know, I'm a night owl. I'm wired that way. I used to work nights. I have the choice to train my body to go to bed earlier and be a morning person and try that for 2024 and just see what that feels like. I mean, I, we could take it in a million directions, but. And I, yeah. And I think that knowing that you have choice can really help you in following those golden threads and following those little mm-hmm. things that keep coming up for you. Because I feel like we shut those down a lot because you don't think it's not a, a possibility for you. You don't think that, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, you, do, you don't think that that's an option, but a lot of things to be made to work if you want them to. Mm-hmm. And your last one applies to all of your others, every single one of them, like that we have the choice to not make up stories, to follow the golden thread, all of that. Super helpful. Yeah. So just even reframing in what you say, or just start paying attention, not even just reframing it. Cause that's, you know, another step above is sometimes you're not just 
I know for myself, I, I wasn't quite there yet. So just catching yourself when you, when you say these things, just taking a pause and taking inventory. When you say, I can't do it. I have no choice. This is what I have to do. Anything that has have in it or just completely shuts down any other expansion of thought or brainstorm. Mm-hmm. Just taking inventory and saying, when are those things coming up for you? I love it. Remind me, I know I read your bio earlier, but tell me just for a minute, if you don't mind, about your experience becoming a life coach. What was that like? And I, I know Nick told me about the school and I've heard of it before and I know it's very reputable. So I went through the life coach school training with Brooke Castillo and it really started out as a way to just, I hated my job. I, you know, I had, and it wasn't necessarily that I hated my job. It was that I hated the time amount of time you were spending at it. It, it. It's the system. And so I had changed jobs I mean, in 2018, expecting everything to be better, expecting something to change. You know, I changed my circumstance, but I didn't change anything else. I didn't clean up anything else besides moving my family to a different state. Mm-hmm. And so the same old things started to come back in. And I thought they weren't going to, you know, I, I made this big move, but now I'm in this position again. And so it really, it, it was, I don't want to say it probably did come from a place of desperation, just trying to find something else because what I was doing wasn't, wasn't working. And you can't just change a situation every time, you know, the situation, it doesn't change your thoughts and feelings. It doesn't change the the other junk. She has a scholars program. I did that. And at the same time, my sister was getting certified. So she kind of helped me with some of that. And it really just resonated with me. It really helped me accept where I was and and find joy where I was and being able to free up that energetic space to do other things too. And, you know, then a series of other life events happened. So I feel like it was really beneficial for a lot of tough stuff that came up after that. Isn't that interesting? When we decide to learn something, we don't realize, or we think we're going to teach something, we're teaching what we need. We're learning, we want, we're taking a class so that we can help other people with whatever, and it ends up being, oh, I didn't realize yeah, I couldn't see three moves yeah. down the line and, you know, something bigger than me could. That's why I became a life coach. Yeah, isn't yeah, that incredible? Sure. It's incredible how it applies to your life. Like people ask me like, why are you going to do the breathwork thing? I'm like, even if I don't end up doing anything with it, I know that it's going to be good for me. So I love that you that you did that. Yeah, it came out of a desperate place to be able to start another way to get out of my situation. Again, not changing anything else but the circumstance. And that didn't happen. But so it's, yeah, it's been beneficial for a lot of other tough things. For our whole family, really. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Okay, you guys, thank you so much. Thank you for taking this time to share with me and to share with all of our listeners. You have people listening all over the world who are really grateful. And, and you know, I was just saying to a friend the other day that when you listen to people on this show who come in as experts, think about it like this. What you just shared with them, you even if you tried to put a price tag on, think of how much money you invested in your education, both of you. Then think of all the years of experience. Then think of all the trials and tribulations you've gone through just as humans, then as partners, then as parents, and as professionals, and all the lessons you've learned, right? And then you just gave them two hours of free content. I mean, if you think about that, it's they couldn't access you any other way. So what you all just listened to is is worth so much if you if you think about it like that. So thank you for giving that away for free. So if they're listening to this and 
they would like to work with you. I made a joke about putting Nick on pause. He's an amazing coach. I just had life stuff going on and I needed to wait to circle back. But you've heard me actually mention him before. But I haven't told you about Lindsay yet. So Lindsay, do you take any clients for life coaching or no? I am not currently. Okay. Well, maybe in the future. You may, yes. The last year, right now, my focus is on my family, raising my babies. But hopefully, at least partnering with Nick and something exciting coming up is the plan. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. I could see you guys doing like an online thing. That'd be really cool. Like doing an online container. We are starting a membership. It's going to be a Truby Health monthly membership. And it's going to have a lot of the things we've talked about in this episode. And then a lot of weekly and monthly actionable things to go along with that. Okay. How do they access that? Because we're now in the beginning of January. I don't know if it's live yet or not. You go to trubehealth.com, T-R-U-B-E-E, health.com. And it'll be a spinoff on a Mighty Networks, if you're familiar with that, using Mighty Networks as the landing page. Okay. Tell me really quick. I know we've already talked for eight hours, but what's Mighty Networks? Mighty Networks is like, it's it's very similar to like Facebook, but you own and control all of it. A, a community. Oh, community. We hope cool. to, I don't know, build a, a community of positive change. Oh, I love it. Okay, so a membership. Okay, so what you just heard for two hours, you can get that on a regular basis if you join your membership. I love that you're doing that. Thank you so much. I'll let you get back to your babies. Thank your mother for stepping in so we could (laughs) steal you away uninterrupted. I really appreciate it. And we wish you the best 2024. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jill. 